Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be talking about uh, this book for the next couple of weeks. Been excited about this. Looking forward to sharing with you what is most people's favorite New Testament book is Philippians and kind of unpacking that just a little bit. Uh, We have a neighborhood Facebook group, and it's okay. It's somewhat helpful on occasion. Uh, Occasionally, if you want to find out whose yard some dog messed in, you can find that in the Facebook group. You can also find in the Facebook group if um, a suspicious vehicle is driving around our neighborhood. Those are are always there. It's like these little blurry, you know, security cam shots. And somebody says, does anybody know this car? You know, and uh, I always want to respond, none of your business, right? You know. Your neighbor got a new car, let him alone, that sort of thing. But here recently, uh, it's kind of come up. It's actually pretty helpful in uh, Amazon delivery packages. For, I don't know if it's our delivery person in our neighborhood, but uh, we are regularly not getting our package delivered to our house. Not us, not the kings, but like the whole neighborhood. Everybody's like, hey, it shows that it delivered. And I have a picture of a front porch. Whose front porch is this? You know, and they'll post it and then we'll, we'll find the package. Somebody has it and it's, oh, I'm three doors down or something like that. This happened to us, I uh, maybe a week or so ago. Haddon was waiting on a phone case and he was really excited about this new phone case. He really could not wait for his phone case. And, and it came and I got the notification, Amazon, it goes, you know, your, your package is delivered. And I look at the package or I look at the notification and that's not our front porch. And so I, I told Haddon, I was like, hey, we got to go find the package. And I put it in the Facebook group, but I, you know, I watch a lot of uh, legal shows, cop shows. So I was going to solve this mystery myself. I had some forensic evidence. I had a picture and, and I had what brick color and, and some shrubbery by there. I had enough evidence to figure this out. So um, hadn't had to go put his shoes on and stuff. We jumped in the truck and we're going to drive down the neighborhood, right? Like, like police officers. And we're going to solve this crime. Uh, of the wrong delivery situation. And I was really excited about it. So he jumps in the car, we get out and we pull out onto our street and it is literally the very next house, the very next. It took me longer to park in the garage than it took us to find this package. And you do that, you might do that. I don't, uh, you maybe wouldn't drive around your neighborhood, but I did. We do that because of two things. First of all, we want what's in the package, right? The content, when, you're, when your stuff gets delivered to the wrong house, you want what's in the package. It's beneficial to you in some regard. You paid for it, of course, but you also just want it. The other thing is that it is personally yours, all right? Your name is on the outside of that, and so there's an ownership in it. There's also a benefit in what is in the package. Is everybody following? That's why we would go out of our way uh, to post in Facebook groups, to drive around our neighborhood, to ask strangers, do you have my package? Because there's a benefit and there's an ownership in that package. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but a lot of the New Testament is what we call epistles. E-P-I-S-T-L-E-S. Epistles. And epistles are letters. They are letters from one person, usually to a group of other people, and they are not addressed to you. 
When we are reading the New Testament, a lot of the times what we are doing is reading someone else's mail. We are reading what they are putting in the mail. And it's a benefit to us. It might seem a little strange, but it's a benefit. To set up Philippians for you, what happened was that Paul received a care package from the Philippian church, the church there in Philippi, which, by the way, is not in the Philippines. It's over near Greece. That package was received by Paul, and then Paul writes a letter back to those who sent the package. In that exchange, we are reading what Paul is writing back to those people who sent him a care package. And in that back and forth, we see a little bit about a different perspective. In the first part, it's delivered something that I need. When I read Philippians, there is this message in there that I need. I think that it is helpful because what we find out in Philippians chapter 1 is Paul's, what I'm going to call his secrets to having joy or happiness, peace and grace in the midst of really unbearable circumstances. And who doesn't want that, right? Some sort of peace or joy in the midst of hard circumstances. So I don't really care at this point that this letter is not specifically addressed to me. I really want the content. I really need the content. But here's something that may ease your mind. Paul and the Philippians really don't mind us opening their letter and reading it and applying it to us. I promise you, they don't care. So let's do that this morning, all right? Let's do that right after we pray. God, thank you for the rain. Thank you for Philippians. Thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us, including the time now to um, come together, to gather, and to make much of you. God, I pray that we would grow closer as a group of people, both in the, in the larger context, but also in our smaller groups, that we would protect one another, that we would encourage, uh, encourage one another, so that when we do find ourselves in the inevitably bad situations, we would find ourselves not alone, but with other people. And from that, we would receive true joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Philippians 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Paul and Timothy, that's the authors. Uh, Timothy was often hanging out with Paul on his missionary journeys there. Paul is the missionary. Timothy is the helper. A lot of Paul's letters are written, the handwritten part, by Timothy. Um, Paul was dictating what would be in the letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, that's all the Christians, in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, that's the city, including the overseers. That would be the word that we use for pastors. And deacons, that is the word that we use for deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all I really want to point out about this text is two things. The first one is Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. For Paul, it was always all about Jesus, all right? And that's key in understanding Paul. It was always all about Jesus. The other thing that I want to point out in Paul's introduction to this letter, as he says, from us to y'all, howdy, uh, essentially is what he's saying here. He does not say where he is. Paul doesn't mention at this point, right in the beginning of the letter, that he's in prison, all right? He is sitting in a Roman prison cell. Now, sometimes Paul was under house arrest, and other times he was in a Roman prison. But the, uh, the, the point I'm trying to make is that Paul is in a horrible circumstance. 
The Romans did not treat their prisoners well. This wasn't like a, a, a white-collar federal penitentiary where you got like tennis time at one o'clock. It wasn't that sort of scenario at all. This is a overcrowded, dirty sort of situation. It was, it was nasty. In fact, I read that Romans treated their prisoners as little better than dead. Look at this picture here. This is an illustration of a Roman prison. In fact, this is a specific Roman prison in which legend says that both Paul and Peter spent some time in this prison. It was originally built as a cistern, a a holder of water. And you can see this little hole here. That hole is how the prisoners got into the prison cell. All right, so they would just drop them down through the hole, and here's the prisoners, and and that's prison. All right, they didn't really care if you showered. They didn't really care if you exercised. They didn't care if you had sunlight or, or three meals a day. They really did not care. For the Romans, prison was not punishment. It was just where you were held before your trial or your execution. That's it. We're just holding you until we do something with you. And so this is the scenario likely that Paul is writing from. And somehow in this scenario, this is the sort of scenario in which you would expect to find things like loneliness or depression or uh, downcast or downtrodden, those sort of things. And yet somehow in this, Paul has the wherewithal to write peace and grace to you through our Father. I mean, it's just a different sort of perspective. It's a different sort of thing in which I would really like. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving home after work, and I, I uh, was on the phone with a friend of mine, and I got to the point where I could not see. My eyes were watering, and they were itching really bad. And it's not like I had, like, cut up jalapenos and touched my eyes or something. I just, I just all of a sudden— couldn't see. And, and, and they were all uh, really, it was like itchy and all this sort of stuff. And I could not understand what was going on, but I was close enough home and I could get home blindfolded. So I did. I continued to drive. And um, I got to the house, even though I couldn't see and all this sort of stuff. And I got out of the truck and, and um, you know, it, it went away. Even before I could tell Jackie, I was telling her, I was like, I was driving home. My eyes started watering. I, I didn't know what was going on, right? And about an hour later, I go out to my truck because I had purchased some soap. Um, some, what I would call soap or some sort of detergent that you wash the outside of your house with, a uh, special brick soap or something. I don't know what it is. And so I bought this stuff and discovered that it had spilled all in the back of uh, my truck on the floorboard there. And it was just kind of rolling around. I was like, ah, man, you know. And so I grab this towel, I, I clean it up, I get the bottle, and, and then I go out there and I'm going to start spraying the outside of my house. I hook up the hose and the connection was bad. I don't know what it was. It was just a bad, and it starts spraying all over the place. I am soaking wet in this brick soap, all right? And then I start to spray the eaves like this, but it's all sprinkling back on my face, you know? So I'm just standing out here just getting soaking wet with this stuff, and something in me, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it was the Holy Spirit, said, you need to read the back of the bottle, all right? And so I'm literally, I'm I'm not being hyperbolic here. I was dripping wet in this stuff, right? And so I look at the bottle, and the very first it says, caution, corrosive. Do not get in your eyes or on your skin. I was like, well, and so I drop it. I run in the house, you know, and I, and I shower. And while I'm showering, I think to myself, I wonder what that stuff is doing to the back of my truck, you know. And so I run back out. I open up my truck, and I notice that that yellow and white towel that I used to clean it all up was completely white. 
All right, so it's completely white now. And I open that up, and there's all of these bleached stains inside of my truck. In my black interior, there were these pink and white stains, which just doesn't, doesn't go with the vibe that I was wanting, you know, those, those stains there. And I'm guessing that was what was hurting my eyes. In that moment, I got to say, I wasn't real joyful, all right? I, I wasn't really peace and grace to you and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? I don't know how you would feel in those moments, but I was having a bad Thursday. Everything was going bad for me. And somehow, Paul is in a much worse circumstance, and he finds peace. He's able to extend grace. He's able to extend peace. If it is that Paul can do this in a, in, a, in a terrible circumstance, then that is what I want. I want some sort of calm in the storms that I face. And I realize that this sounds very churchy, to be honest with you. If you come to church and we're going to talk about peace in the midst of your trials, you know, calm in the midst of your storms, it sounds like, I mean, that just sounds like somebody puts, that's what they say at church. And even though we can feel that way and we can kind of set it off to the side, I think that a lot of us truly want that. A lot of the actions that we take in our lives, whether it's alcohol abuse or sexual addiction or it's just throwing our whole lives into athletics or working out or education or careers, all of that is usually at some point trying to find some sort of stability or peace, balm, some sort of medicine for the storms that we find ourselves in. That's why when you get stressed out, you go running toward that thing. That's why when you get tired and mad and angry, you go running toward that thing. Because as much as we can say, ah, that's churchy stuff, it's really all of us stuff. Peace in the midst of that storm. So in Philippians chapter one, in the first few verses there, I think Paul gives us clues, but he also gives us like this secret that Jesus gave to us that if we were to take advantage of, maybe it would work for us as well. Look at verse three through four. He says, I give thanks to my God in every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my in every prayer. Joy just being that happiness that is outside of happenstance. It's, it's a deep peace. It's what we're kind of talking about, that grace and that peace that rules in your heart regardless of the circumstances. But what I want to point out about this is the you. The you in all of chapter one, these are specific yous. In other words, when we read Philippians, it can come off cold. It can come off distance. It's Paul to the saints in Philippi and the overseers and the deacons. We don't know those people. We've never met them. They don't mean anything to us. And so it comes off distant or it comes off cold. Like Paul just wrote some letter to just some church and he sent it over there. And it's like, well, I don't really know who they are. But for Paul, he did know the you. When he thinks of the you, when he's saying in every remembrance of you, that sort of remember, it was an actual memory of actual people. These actual people with, with emotions and, and, and circumstances and, and expressions and, and, and um, common experiences. If you read in Acts chapter 16, we see the start of the Philippian church. Paul goes down to an Old Testament Bible study in which he meets this lady named Lydia she sells purple linen, it says, and, and uh, 
she becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. She invites Paul and Timothy to her house, and, and this sort of starts the birth of the Philippian church. On the way to her house, there's this young lady who is kind of um, being annoying. She's getting on Paul's nerves. Uh, turns out she's demon-possessed. Paul casts the demon out. She becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. This upsets some of the, the townsfolks. It's crazy that Paul cast out a demon and everybody was mad about it, but people get mad about strange things. And so they cast out a demon, and, and um, they decide to throw Paul in jail because of that. Some stuff happens. They're singing and all this kind of stuff, and, and the jail ends up becoming a Christian as well. Paul, the jailer, takes Paul and Timothy back to his house, and the whole family becomes Christians. This is uh, the first church. When Paul is talking about you, he's thinking of Lydia and that young lady and that jailer and, and their little boy and, and his wife and, and her husband. He's thinking about that whole town, and, and not only just the whole town, but the people who made up the church, specifically with their faces and their names and their experiences. This is a personal relationship. Furthermore, look, when he says, always praying with joy for all of you, the specifics of the personal prayer matter. In verse 9, he says that he prays that they would have knowledge and discernment, that they would know what they need to know, and they would know what they need to do. That's what he was praying for them. In verse 10, he says that he was praying that they would be pure and blameless, that they would be more Christ-like in their actions and in their walk with God. What I'm trying to point out and what I'm trying to say about this is all of the things that Paul is praying for his personal friends benefit him none at all. He's not praying for things for himself. He's praying for things for them. He's praying for what they need. He's praying for their concerns. He's praying for what they're going to need in their lives, in Philippi, and in their businesses, and in their marriages. This is what he's praying. He is leveraging his life for their good. Paul's drive is to love these people for their good, to point them closer and, and, and push them towards Jesus. All of this benefits him not. It benefits them greatly. In other words, Paul's perspective when it comes to these people he knew was their good is the major concern. The good of these other people he had a personal relationship with was the major concern. Now we're going to get, we're going to build this out just a little bit, but that's a base understanding that their relationship was built on the good of the other people. And so it leads me to ask this question of myself. What am I doing in my life that is totally about helping other people grow closer to Jesus? What am I doing that helps other people see Jesus the way that he is, to understand the scriptures the way that they are, to grow ever more closer to Jesus and to be more like Jesus? What are you doing in your life that's leveraged that way? I'm convinced that a lot of our joylessness stems from the idea that we only try to find our joy, that it's all about us, but a joyful life according to Scripture. And I'll be really honest with you. Apart from Scripture, my experience has told me this. I am happier. I am more joyful when I am investing in other people than when I am chasing my own happiness. That's just truth. I don't know it seems like it's counterintuitive. I don't know why it seems like it's counterintuitive. That's just truth. 
living our lives for other people. And that's what he seems to be getting joy from. So this is the perspective and it's prayer, but, it, but it's not just happy thoughts. It, it isn't just one-way relationship. The relationship was started by Paul, of course, but the investment in these people was reciprocal. It went both ways, and that's very important. Look at the next passage here. It says, because I have joy for you or from you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership is koinonia. It means fellowship. It's reciprocal because of your partnership in the gospel. Notice that this partnership is a specific partnership. It's a gospel partnership. Can people have true and lasting relationships built on something other than the good news of Jesus Christ? I think so. I think they can. I think you can find true lasting relationships or meaningful relationships in your yoga group or your real estate group or your running club or whatever it is. I'm, I'm sure you can find that, but I'm telling you it's not as deep or as fulfilling as anything outside of a relationship built on what Jesus has done in and through our lives. These gospel relationships, they mean something because unlike your yoga or your running or your real estate, unlike all of those other avenues that you might try to find Christ in or find meaningful community in, unlike those, Christianity shows us origin or gives us origin answers like where are we from? Gives us purpose answers like what are we here to do? Gives us destination answers like, what happens when I'm done with this life? So in that reality, we can invest in one another in such a way that is eternal, that is true, that is deep, that is total. That's a gospel partnership. Notice also that it is a partnership, that it was back and forth. He says in verse 7 that they were protecting and encouraging. He says that, that you participated in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. What that means is the protecting and the encouraging of one another. So they were protecting each other by reminding each other, or they were protecting one another uh, from the outside influences that were antithetical to the gospel. So when people were trying to find their worth and what they owned or what they accomplished, the, the Philippian church was reminding them that you're not the sum total of what you've done. You're not the sum total of what you've accomplished. They were protecting each other from the, the infatuation with gold and, for, and with the possessions of outside worldly things. They were protecting each other from this drift that we always have within our hearts that, that ascribes value or purpose or meaning or origin to the things that we can touch, the things that we can hold, the things that we can own. It's pushing back on that. And then they were encouraging one another in the idea that you can keep going. So when somebody was going through a medical emergency, they were there with them walking through that situation or a jobless situation or, or just a, a trouble at home when, when their parents were divorcing or, the, or their children were going wayward. They were walking alongside one another in and through those circumstances. That's what the Philippian church was doing with one another. This was an actual partnership. Everybody was working together in these circumstances. Circumstances. Also notice this, that when he says because of your partnership, the your there is personal. Remember, specific. These are regular, ordinary people. I get it. When we read Paul, we're thinking, I can't be like Paul. 
If, if Jesus had an Avenger team, Paul is like Tony Stark, all right? So he's like, he's like the big one, you know? And I can't be like that. I can't be that Christian. I can't be that cool like Paul was. But listen, the partnership here was with, with Lydia and with the unnamed jailer and with the unnamed young lady and their spouses and their family. These were equal partnerships. This wasn't just Paul doing something. This was they were doing something as well. The sad reality is that there are a lot of churches across America, around the world, in which the majority of the people are not actually partnering with the gospel. They are just taking, not partaking, in the mission and the ministry of the church. They're just here for what's entertaining to them and not here to encourage and to protect one another, to build one another up. Paul receives joy from this because they were actual partners in this, that they themselves were protecting and encouraging Paul in these circumstances. That's what was happening here. So what you have at this point is a commitment to one another grounded in this life-changing message of Jesus that actually provides for you a resource of encouragement and protecting of one another. And I get it. You might be hearing something like this. You're like, okay, preacher wants me to get involved in church, like have these meaningful relationships in a church. And you push back on that because, and it's actually like, okay, but you push back on that because you've been burned in the past through personal relationships, right? Maybe you were at a church one time and the small group all turned on you and, and, and y'all got cut out of the small group. They were all like kind of hanging out and you were on the outside of this and that felt bad for you. That hurt. That hurt your heart. Or maybe you were at a church once in which the pastor or the minister, they, 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 they mistreated you or they abused you or they did evil, okay? And that happens. And I'm sorry for that. That happens. People are broken. So small groups messed with you or a preacher messed with you. Or maybe it, wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with the church. It was like a, a spouse or a romantic relationship or just a friend. You opened yourself up one time to a relationship and then you got hurt. And so you come to church because that's what you're supposed to do. But you're not going to actually like be one of these people, right? You're not going to actually be in the midst of all of this because you've been hurt in the past. Or the other side of the equation is that you've disappointed people in the past. You accidentally didn't do what they expected you to do, and you feel like, man, if I get involved in this sort of stuff, then all I ever do is disappoint people. All I ever am is disappointed by people or all that I ever do is disappoint other people. We build up all of these walls because they're not good enough or I'm not good enough. But here's something that's encouraging. At least it is for me. Paul did not receive joy from a relationship with perfect people. Paul did not receive joy in a relationship because he was perfect. Paul received joy in a relationship knowing neither side was yet perfect. Look at the very next verse. He says, I am sure, I am confident, I am persuaded by this, that he, not you, not me, he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's 
church relationship was not based on the other people being perfect, on the preacher being perfect, on the small group leader being exactly right, on everybody fulfilling my expectations on them. His relationship was not based on him putting on a persona of perfection or fulfilling all of the obligations or all the responsibilities or making everybody think that they were Mr. Good Christian. His joyful relationship was based not on you or me, but on he, Jesus. And knowing that Jesus had started a good work in them and that they were not yet complete, he gave them grace. They're not done yet. So anytime that the Philippians didn't do exactly what he expected them to do, or, or maybe somebody had a, had a, a little Grecian barbecue and didn't invite him over to the sort of thing and, and he felt excluded or something like that. He didn't get mad about it. He didn't bail on it. You know what he did? He thought, ah, they're not done yet. They're not complete yet. And anytime that he felt bad about, oh, I, I said I was going to text him. I said I was going to call and, and Paul forgot. He didn't beat himself up about it because, you know, he's not done either. He just circled back, apologized and carried on, you know. That sort of thing, because they are not yet done. It is all established in what God is doing. Look, part of our problem when it comes to a lasting and fulfilling relationships with other people is that we have this whole thing built on their shoulders or on our shoulders instead of on Christ. They have to be perfect or we'll toss the whole endeavor. Or we have to be constant or consistent and with picking up the slack. With Paul, what Paul is letting us know here is that it is a trust, not in me or in you, but in him, in Jesus. And I think that's huge. Here, let's remind ourselves right here at this point of the good news of Jesus. Remind yourselves of the reality that this is all about what Jesus accomplished and not what we accomplished. The most joyful thing throughout any circumstances is knowing that this temporal world that we seem to be trapped in is not our eternal home. That we are saved, that we have salvation from this brokenness that we were born into and that we live in. Remember Acts chapter 16. Uh, there's the, the situation where the jailer, there's this earthquake. And the, the gates opened up and the jailer shows up and he thinks everybody left. And the Romans will kill the, jail, kill the jailer if they think that uh, all the prisoners have left. And so the guy draws a sword. He's about to kill himself. I don't know how you do that, um, but he's about to do it, right? He's about to kill himself. And Paul screams out, don't, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And because the jailer had heard their singing, because he had heard their message, because he knew what they were in there for, he turns around and asks them the obvious question. How do, I, how do I live like this? Free, but you're in prison, but he lived free. So he says the words, how can I be saved? Paul responds, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ the ultimate salvation. That's the ultimate gift of joy. And so today, if you have not ever received Jesus as your Savior, if you've not ever believed in what Jesus has accomplished, then today's the day that you do that, that you base your life, that you receive true joy based on what Jesus has done. That's the bond of that relationship. That's the commitment in that relationship. So here's what you have going on in the first part of Philippians. Paul is able to have real and lasting joy even in the hardest of circumstances because he had what we would call a church family. 
That group of people was committed to the good of each other, that they were bonded together in a common mission, and that they were confident in what God was doing in each of them, and individually and collectively as a church. I think we can all admit, I think we can all admit right now that sometimes it feels like we are in prison. Maybe you wouldn't say that, but sometimes you feel that way, right? I talk to people all the time and it just feels like, I don't know, like people, I think the most common phrase right now is like, I have no idea. That's the most common phrase. Whether it's masking or vaccinations, whether it's how I understand that. I even talk to some people when you ask them about their um, stance on vaccinations or their stance on masking or their stance on the government or a private organization being involved in all of that. They, they can't figure it out within their own mind, let alone how they try to communicate that to other people. And then they have people that they love that seem to not be able to figure it out either. And then we're all trying to live around each other, you know? And that just feels like this prison. And, and it's not even just what's going on in our own minds, but then there's all of this sad and all of this like uh, uh, depressing reality around us. And, and then we have other things that are coming in, like a hurricane that's hitting uh, the coast. And we, we know people and we love people and we have family down there. And so you have that circumstance and then you have the Afghani situation and, and all of that's kind of like building up around us. And on top of that, you have just, just daily life. And we're supposed to try to figure out how kids are going to go to school and how they're not. And are we, are we, why are they carrying Chromebooks if they're not going to use them? And, and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's like, it's like this monstrous CDC prison that we're all looking at, right? You're just standing in here going, I don't have any idea what to do. And I know, listen, Paul was in a real prison and that's really horrible. But at a lot of times when I look up, I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. I feel, and maybe you do as well, so I would just say, within your own heart, raise your hand. Anybody feel boxed in or trapped? You know, you feel that way. And so we find, if we would admit it, we would find that we probably struggle with joy right now because everything seems to be going bad. Every, it's like you sprayed a bunch of poison all over your face and your eyeballs, and just everything is bad. My encouragement to you this morning is to engage in a small group. The bottom line, this is protecting and encouraging. It cannot happen in a large group. I know that you go to church. I know that you're here in this worship service. I know that you are watching online, but let me ask you a very specific pointed question. If you're not in a small group, then how would you know? How would you know? How would, if this was all you did, how would any of you know, any of you sitting over in this section right now, how would any of you know that someone over here in this section is about to literally just walk out on their marriage? Because they just can't. How, how would anybody in this section know that anybody over in these two sections is, is really struggling with some sort of addiction or some sort of pain because they feel trapped in and they keep running towards something that's not really fixing the problem? How would any of you know that somebody's grieving the loss of, you know, like a miscarriage or they have a child that is acting wayward and they, they really did raise them the right way, but they're acting wayward? How would anybody know, how would any of you know that somebody else in the room is thinking truly dark, truly sad thoughts and is about to just give up? How would you know? 
unless you were in a small group, unless you were committed to one another, unless you were having those experiences where you were protecting and encouraging one another. I heard one of our deacons while he was sharing his personal church story. He said, I wanted to attend a church regular enough that someone will know if I was missing and that they would miss me. So here's my encouragement. Engage in a small group. How do you do that? What does that look like? Well, show up. That's the first. Look, small groups, half the battle is just going, all right? Just go, and good. You got points. You got lots of points on that. Show up, and then listen when people, uh, they do prayer requests or something, or you're just talking, or somebody gives an answer, and they start sharing about the thing, and then follow up. Put it in your phone. Text so-and-so on Tuesday after the medical procedure and see if they're okay and see if I can do anything. That's small, right? It's not a big deal. It's not hard. Your phone will do it. Just do that. And then, and here, this is so important. Hang out with each other. I am telling you, you have to do that as a church. You have to go and watch the Razorbacks together. You have to walk Tucker Creek together. You have to go and eat at Stobie's or whatever it is. You have to go do these things together. Hang out with one another. You think, that's not real spiritual. That's, well, aren't we supposed to like pray and carry each other's burdens? That's how you carry each other's burdens. That's how you do that. You remember the Emmaus Road when Jesus was walking their, their city park trail together and then they ate together at Stobie's that night, cheese dip? That's in, the, that's in the Bible. That's what happened. You need to do that. It's the only way that you will know. When you pass each other at the little coffee thing, you're like, good morning, good morning, huh? Creamer today. Yeah, you're never going to find out that they're really struggling with something. You only hear that when you pass the mural on the Tucker Creek Trail. Go and do this. Now, engage in a small group if you've never done that, but then re-engage. I know a lot of you bailed on, not bailed, you backed out of small group when COVID hit. And listen, it's an excused absence. Jesus signed the paper. You're fine. He's not mad, all right? He's not. You're allowed to do that. That's okay. Jesus signed the paper. But now is time to re-engage. Those of you watching online, now is time to re-engage, to get back together. To get, listen, if you're going to Kroger and the football game, you can go to church. You can do that. And... I went to Kroger, and all y'all were there. So, um, so you can do that. It is time to re-engage. It is time to get back into that. Wear your mask, get your vaccine, do whatever it is that makes you feel safe, but do this and re-engage with this. Paul uses this really, uh, you remember, I, I described him as Tony Stark a minute ago. It doesn't sound like Tony Stark in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, God is my witness, he says. God is my witness how deeply I miss you. And then there's a few more words at the end of verse 8. But anyways, that's, my point is, you don't hear Tony Stark saying, God is my witness how much I miss you. I miss you, right? But he did. Part of the fact that Paul was joyful in prison was because he missed his church. He missed the people. We have these friends in Texas that we moved away from, uh, Jeremy and Beth, and they are lifelong friends. They've been our friends for a very long time. They were there for um, our kids' births. We were there when, when, when they adopted. They were there when we adopted. We've celebrated all sorts of things together, holidays, uh, um, 
you know, it's, it's just, it's fun. Uh, we, we love them, right? We've had tons of meals and, and hung out together with them. Uh, he's a Nebraska fan, so we've celebrated the very few Nebraska wins that they've had, and, and he's celebrated the very few Texas wins that I have had. And, and Beth is really funny. She's really funny because she thinks she's cool, but she's not, and she's going to watch this later and, and really rib on me because she thinks I'm not cool, but I am. And so there's that whole thing going on, and we love Beth and Jeremy. And there's times where Jackie and I will talk about how we miss Beth and Jeremy. We miss them. We miss the girls and we miss hanging out with them. We miss them a lot. But you don't. None of y'all miss them, right? None of y'all, well, some people, one person here knows them, but the rest of you do not, don't even know them. I just saw her sitting there. The rest of you don't even know them. Y'all don't miss Beth and Jeremy. Y'all don't care. You know why? Because you didn't have dinner together and you weren't there for those experiences. You weren't there for that personal, deep relationship. You know why people will tragically walk away from church and not even miss it? It's not because the preacher wasn't funny enough. It's not because the music wasn't their preference. It's not because of the time their small group met or the room their small group met in. It's because they didn't invest. They didn't lean in. They didn't have those common experiences. So I am begging you to engage or re-engage in your small group for your own joy in the middle of what feels like a prison. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.